0: Well, good morning again. Pray that you're glad to be in the house of of the Lord. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. As you're turning there for a second, just imagine in your head uh, that some football coach has come on the scene who is like winning every single thing and is competing in such a way that... um, Uh, Alabama fans and Auburn fans get together to go talk to this guy. Now, in our heads, we can't even get our minds around that um, because um, as long as this guy's beating Alabama or beating Auburn, um, the other fans don't care. Um, But in Jesus' day, he faces a circumstance where he is out teaching and two groups of people come to him. It says then the Pharisees. This is Matthew. As you're turning to Romans, I'm going to set up uh, Romans. But then the Pharisees went out, laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now we don't pick up on this. Is like Auburn and Alabama getting together. Um, the Pharisees were a religious sect. They hated the Romans. They didn't want the Romans to be around, they were trying to undermine, they were doing what they could, but they're a religious sect. The Rhodians uh, are part of Herod's contingent. They like the Romans because the Romans had established Herod in power. They're not a religious sect, they're more politically minded. So you've got this religious sect, this political sect who hate each other, coming together, planning against Jesus coming against him to try and trap him lay a trap for his and what they're asking you know sometimes uh, people have said that um you can you can tell who jesus was not by the frenzy made but by the enemies who came against him and in this case you see that clearly it goes on in matthew 22 and says this teacher they said we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Now remember, these two groups hate him. So you know they're kind of being subtly engaged with him. They're saying, hey, teacher, we know. You're a man of integrity. You speak nothing but the truth. They're really trying to trap him. trying, Hey, look, you're not swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. We've seen that firsthand. They're thinking, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. We've gone through this verse a little bit as we started this series called God and Country, and I've I've tried over the past re- weeks, I'm not even going to try and review the last, because we're in Sermon 6, and I'd spend my entire time reviewing. So I'd like to, it's my nature to review the whole thing, but I'm not going to. But we've already looked at this in a sense where, where where Jesus is saying to these two groups who hate him, look, God has a place, but there's also a place for civil government. There's a place for Caesar. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to God what is God. Now, ultimately, what we are laying out a foundation for as we head three weeks into the election, from three weeks from Tuesday, is this. Look, God is the one in whom we trust. If we transfer our trust to our government, if we transfer our trust to a person, if we transfer our trust somewhere other than God, we are we we're in trouble. And again, the word the Bible has a word for that, it's called idolatry. If you place your trust in money, place your trust in government, place your trust in your future, Then you're worshiping something else. We place our trust in God. But there's also a place for civil government, and we need to give Caesar what is Caesar's. And so this morning, I want to look at that again in depth, talk about what is our relationship to our government? What is our relationship to our government? Let me say this going in. Uh, We've looked at this for five weeks already. We're in week six, so... Uh, If nothing else over the past five weeks, here's the one thing I hope you've been doing, praying. Praying for our leaders, praying for our future, praying for our government, praying for this election, praying for what God's purpose and will will be accomplished. And so I know that many of us in this room feel like, sense, think that God is leading in a certain direction. We need to pray toward this direction. That may be you, that may not be be you. That's fine. Pray in the direction God gives you to pray, but be in prayer. And if you don't know what God's will is, you don't know his direction, just pray His will be accomplished. God, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it's being done in heaven. But be a person of prayer. I want to look at Romans 13 because I think it's a clear passage that speaks of our relationship to civil government. And I think Paul, in many ways, in this passage echoes some of the things that Jesus has already said, and Peter will say, and again, please, you're dropping, if you're first time here, welcome, we're so glad you're here, but uh, if it is your first time, you're dropping in in week six of this series, so there's been a lot of groundwork laid. I I told you a couple of weeks how you should vote, so, no, I'm just kidding, I didn't tell you (laughs) Some of you are like, what? Did I miss that one? No, I, I talked a little bit about um, um, things that Christians should be consider, considering when they vote. And I hope you listen to that. And last week, Gabe did a great job talking about listening, how we need to be listening to each other. Now, today, I want to talk about our relationship with, with government. And I, I, I'm always, I love the chap, the book of Romans. I've talked through it many times. It's it's just a a rich, rich um uh, Thank you. (laughs) It's a rich, rich book. And so, in chapters 1 through 11 of Romans, Paul lays out some of the richest theology in the entire Bible. I mean, it's just um, being justified by faith. um, The righteous live by faith. How how do we become righteous? Uh, What does that entail? What is God's relationship to different... And then in chapter 12, and I just summarized badly uh, um, Romans 1 through 11, but in in Romans 12, he flips and he begins what's called the practical section of Romans, which he does this in a lot of his books, where he he lays out theology and then you get to a therefore, where he's going to say, okay, in light of everything I've just told you, therefore, I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to do what? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Why? Because this makes sense. It's your spiritual act of worship. It makes sense. For 11 chapters, I've told you how you're justified by faith, all the ramifications of faith, how Abraham lived by faith, how we get to to, to, to jump in in this great pool of righteousness because of faith. Therefore, because of everything I just told you, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Not because it's unreasonable. Or just in light of this, it makes sense. He then goes on. And in verses 1 and 2, I'm getting to 13. Just hang on. In verses 1 and 2, he says, I'm going to tell you, but in light of all of this, what is your relationship to God like? You as a believer in faith, what's your relationship to God? What is your relationship to the body of Christ? Uh, Because that's how we live. How is your relationship to other people? God, church, others, right? And then we get to chapter 13 where he's going to say, now, here's your relationship to government and authority. So I don't want to pull chapter 13 out and just say, hey, it's just an isolated passage. Paul has spent 12 chapters telling us why this makes sense why this makes sense. And so I just want to walk us through this passage this morning just to let the word of God kind of speak, let it permeate our hearts and lives, and just give some examples, illustrations, but let us speak to us about what is our relationship supposed to be like to the governmental authorities. So here we go. The first truth is this in Romans 13:1 and 2. Authority is established by God. Authorities, governmental authorities, are established by God. He says, Everyone was, must submit himself to the governing of authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. At face value, which I think we have to take this, it's hard to swallow. He's saying all authority, governmental authority, is established by God. If you rebel against what God instituted, what are you going to? It's going to bring judgment on you. And you're like, wait a minute here. There's been some really bad leaders. Are you saying God instituted them? Yes. I'm saying that the Bible says that God instituted them. <laughs> it's hard for me to step into that. Only by faith can, even, can I do it. Can I say, I, I, I don't understand all the ways of God. And it causes, even, even this idea at times causes people to turn away from the church? How how can God, how could God allow Hitler to come into power? How could he have instituted Stalin? How could he have instituted these Roman emperors? How could he have done this? How could he have let a Democrat or a Republican become president? How could he he do this or or that? Listen, the ways of God are beyond tracing out. I don't understand them all, and I can either against the rock, or I can say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but praise you. I'm going to trust in you. That's why this whole series is entitled about us, God, and country, us trusting in God, our first trust, in God we trust. Over the history of the Bible, you see where people speak uh, this truth. Daniel says this to Nebuchadnezzar, who has destroyed his nation, who's taken all these people captive. And he's basically a servant or a slave in Nebuchadnezzar's court. And he says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and, disp- and deposes them. He's giving praise to God who does it. In John, Jesus is speaking to Pilate and he says, you would have no power or authority over me if it were not given to you from above. Now, of course, he's speaking to Pilate kind of in this like judgment relationship, but he's also speaking basically as a governmental idea that you only have power because God established it. And I think that's important for us to hang on to, to understand in faith, because we, we as a democratic society, we honestly believe that we're the ones who are establishing authorities. Now, we have a part to play, which is interesting. I've talked about that already. We need to be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. I believe Christians should vote because it's part of our stewardship as governed it's within the system that we have. But ultimately, it's God who places. God who places things in in, in where they should be. Okay, let's move on to the second. Because it's really the third idea, that truth, that I'm going to spend most of my time talking about. You're like, okay, well, let's get there. Authority assumes responsibility. Authority assumes responsibility. Those in authority have a responsibility. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong... But, excuse me, I didn't read that very well. Let's do it again. Pretend I didn't say anything. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he, the one in authority, is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment. On the wrongdoer. So I, I highlighted these two things in red so you can answer the question very easily. What is the responsibility of those in authority? To do us good and to bring punishment. To do us good for our good. To build up the common good of those that are under their care and to bring punishment. Now, as far as doing good is concerned, we need to set up, and we live in a society that supposedly this can take place, where we can build each other up from a societal standpoint, but ultimately we understand that all goodness flows from God. And so we, we need to, to encourage and pray for our government to, to do good. If you read this passage, and you delve into the Word of God just a little deeper, where he says, "For he is God's what? Servant. servant." If you look at the way servant is Diakonos deacon, he is God's deacon, He's God's servant, you know, Jesus makes it clear that when he washes the disciples' feet, and he said, the the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he talks to them about how bad authorities lord it over. They take advantage of. They demand rights. They demand respect. They demand a certain place. They, They take, they don't give. But really, he's saying the higher up you go, so to speak, the less rights you have. Uh, To me, this could be a um, a civics lesson that I, I know all of our leaders are not godly leaders, but this is a civics lesson that says, look, I want to be in." I want to, to, to be a politician. I want to go into civil government. I want to go into, but I want to know that as I go and as I get elected, I don't get more rights. I don't get more um, privileges. I lay them down because I am a servant. Why? Because this is not about me becoming good. This is about my ability to do good. Think of how that would change our entire governmental system. If we could somehow instill this, and Paul is not, by the way, Paul is, remember, Paul is writing, where's this book titled to? Romans. He's writing to a church in the center, the capital, where there's an emperor, where there's, you know, there's no democratic system here. And he's writing, this is the role of leaders, no matter what kind of government it is to do you good. But I think it's also, by the way, I'm going to digress just one second, but I think this is also the idea that we as parents, we as church leaders, we as people in business, we should understand that part of our responsibility when we're in authority is we lay down our rights for those under authority. We give away our lives. It's not what I demand. You know, the picture of the dad sitting in the recliner with the remote and the beer ordering everybody around because this is his little kingdom is messed up. Really, the dad dad should see himself, I I get to serve. This is my family. I'm going to serve my family so that they will be built up. I want to do them good carries across the board, and to bring punishment for those who are the wrongdoers. They bear the sword, he says, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. They bear the sword. Now, for many of us, when we see this bear the sword, we think of, um, we think of army. Uh, we think of, okay, he's a soldier. He's an army. They, they, the bear the sword must be against another nation. This must be against those. But really, Paul... Uh, is speaking to, I don't know how to word this otherwise, but he's speaking to the police of his day. So remember in Paul's day, the army served as the police force. The Roman guard served as, you I mean, you've seen, every, all of us have seen some um, adaptation of the life of Christ. And it's always the Romans, they're there, they're the ones who are, Everybody's afraid of because they have the sword. They're serving as the police forces. If there's a problem, if the fight breaks out, who they call, they call the Roman guard. So they they were the police sword, and they literally had a sword. And so Paul is speaking to um, this group and saying, look, their responsibility is to keep order, to help those who are doing good keep doing good, and to punish the wrongdoer. And you don't have to be afraid. Now, I'm going to speak just one second about the whole defunding the police thing. Um, because um, it's it's I've never even heard the phrase until the last six months, honestly, defund the police. And um, Paul is saying, I think that having police to punish wrongdoers is a good thing. So... We need that. And the, I have it written down, Gabriel, but I can't remember the podcaster you gave me that, that you wanted me to listen to about. Sam Harris, Sam Harris. Sam Harris is a podcaster. Sorry, his name slipped my mind, that Gabriel gave to me. And he's not a believer. He's, he's an atheist and he, he, he's very liberal. Uh, he's not conservative in any sense, but he addressed the whole defund the police idea. And he said, this is crazy. He said the two greatest things, I'm summarizing him, um, but he's saying the two things that allowed civilization to flourish or, uh, forgive my language, uh, what, what do we do with our poop? Um, kind of, you know, sewer systems. How do we handle human waste? And the police force, an organized police force. He said, without those two things, civilization would have never flourished. Cities would have never been able to survive without those two things. And if we, we do away with either of those two, civilization will actually collapse. And he said, we don't want anarchy. That, that just sounds crazy. So he was, he was actually appealing to his liberal friends to quit using this phrase. Because he's saying what we want is Responsibility. What we really want, we want law and order but We want it to be justly. We want the civil government to do good to those who are doing good and to punish wrongdoers. He didn't know he was quoting the Bible. He had no idea he was, he was uh, talking about uh, what, what God wants. So Paul's appeal is not to officer-friendly on the street. His, it could be, but that's not where he's really going. He's going to the authorities who oversee the sword, so to speak. He's going to the higher ups and saying, look, what you need to do is to make sure that this is done correctly. Do your job, which we would say the same thing, right? I think we don't want, we don't want innocent people to be brought down by the sword. We don't want people who have done nothing wrong to be afraid of those in authority. We want, we want that relationship to be ordered. Now, I don't have the answers to how this is going to happen, I don't think doing nothing is gonna get us anywhere, and I don't think annihilated, doing away with the police force is gonna do anything. It's just gonna lead to anarchy. We're gonna collapse, and it's unbiblical as well. What we want is civil authorities, I think, to take responsibility. When you're in authority, you assume responsibility, be responsible. That's what we desire. So what do we do? Well, we can vote, of course. But our greatest weapon, I still say this, our greatest weapon is the weapon of prayer. We have the ability to pray God's kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it's being done in heaven. And when we do anything else and abandon prayer, I think we have fallen so far short of what God is calling us to do. Be a people of prayer. Pray for those in authority over you. Third point, and this was the one I was going to get to for the most, which is this. Authority is to be respected. Authority is to be respected. God places that authority in place. That authority is responsible. They have responsibilities. But our part, Christian response to that is we need to respect it. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. Oh, my lands, we hate that word. Don't we? Anytime I raise the word submission, I can just see shoulders come, kind of go up. Ooh, I hate that word. Not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. That's also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants. Here we go again. Who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue If respect then respect if honor then honor authority is to be i'm I'm taking it straight from God's word respected respect God's and as part of that there's it, it's pretty encompassing honoring paying taxes revenue submission to authority anyone here ever been arrested <laughs> nobody really wants to answer. Oh me! I've been arrested. Anyone here ever been arrested? Me too. I've told this story. Nobody else. Thanks, Jack, for volunteering with me. Of course, it is obvious we've both told these stories before. None, none of the rest of you cowards are willing to throw it out there, and I know some of you have been. So it's scary as heck. I mean, I, I didn't do anything wrong, and I was still terrified. Jack claims he didn't do anything wrong. I and mean, He was still a, he was so terrified. You know, I'm just kidding, Jack. <laughs> so, but I didn't do any. I know I didn't do anything wrong, and I, I got arrested, and it was horrible. I had no trouble at that moment submitting to the authorities. Well, first of all, there were four sheriffs with shotguns standing outside my door. And I was like, sure. Yeah, I'm him. What do you need? (laughs) But in the norm of life, we don't like this submission word. We don't like to line up under some of you who are new here like, what do you do? do do?" I'll tell the story later. It's a great one. It's a great story, but I've told it so many times that I don't want to get into it again. Submission is tough. And the word submit here, it's it's a Greek word that means I voluntarily line myself up under. I put myself in this position. I say, here is where I am. It's not like I say to you, submit. You got to submit to me. That's your, you got to do it. So I've told this story before too, but it's shorter, so I'll tell it. When my kids were little, Kathy and I were kidding around, honestly, kidding around about something. And um, I can't even remember what the topic was. And um, she yelled something at me, and it was funny. Please, don't get it. Get, it was funny. And so I yelled back, submit! <laughs> and one of my kids, who was little at the time, said, yeah, mom, cement. You know, when you, when you demand submission, you're going to get cement. You know what I mean? It is not going to go well. It never goes well. It just becomes a weight. But when you voluntarily blind yourself up under, it is, a, it is a joyous place to be. And let me just say this. There is not one of us in this room that is not submitted to authority at some level. There's mutual submission in marriage. There's there's submission to the governmental authorities. There's submission to spiritual authorities. There's submission. And if you see it as somebody bossing you, then you've missed the point. But if you see it as an order of God that is glorious and protective and life-giving, then it will change your whole perspective. And I know we've, in our society, we've used this word submit in such a way that it it, it becomes... Wait. It becomes like, "Oh man, that's ancient talk, rather than life talk, because we've redefined it into bossing, telling, rather than how do we work together? How do we lay down our rights? How do we give it? We give to each other. And, and I want to just say this: if you're here today and I'm saying this in love, I'm smiling, see? But if you're here today and you say, look, I just got to submit to Jesus, he's the only one, then you have missed the Bible. <laughs> you're like, "Well, wow, that was kind of strong. No, I think the Bible is clear on, it's not just you and Jesus. It is, but it's not. It matters how you and Jesus are doing, but what really matters is not, it's how me and Jesus, how me and you, How me and my wife, how me and my children, how me and the governmental authorities, how me and the church. It's all of that. Because God is not just looking for a person after his name. I've said it over and over again. God is looking for a people after his name. And how we interrelate to each other really matters. Now, you're saying to yourself this. Okay. Does this mean that in every single circumstance, I have to submit to the governmental authorities and have to do what they tell me to do? I mean, look at Peter. He says in uh, 1 Peter, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king, the supreme authority, to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. He's, He's really almost quoting Paul here. Saying it's the governmental authority. He's quoting Jesus, really. But he's quoting Paul as well to say, look, you submit to the governing authorities because they are here to do you good and to to punish those who are right. This is the same Peter who said when he was ordered by authorities to quit preaching the name of God, we must obey God rather than men. So you can live in these tensions in a way that says, yes, I submit to the authorities. I love God. But whenever the two come to a place where I can't obey both at the same time, God, God is my, it, it goes to God. Now, I understand that the moment I do that, the role of the government hasn't changed. They are still in their eyes to punish wrongdoers. So that means I'm taking a risk, right? You know, Peter and John were taking a risk when the authorities said to them, Quit preaching the name of Jesus. You're on double secret probation. Stop it or we're going to put you in jail. They said we've got to obey God rather than men. You're going to have to do to us what they do. You do. Now, God, you know what happened. They did get put in jail. You're saying, well, my prosperity doctrine says that it's never going to happen. This bad stuff isn't going to happen. It's yeah. You're going to put yourself at a risk. When the church in China preaches the word of God, they're at risk. When Christians stood up and proclaimed the name of Christ in the Roman Empire, you want to read the Hall of Fame, of Faith? We got all those names, and then we got to that section where some were sawed in half, some were killed, some were put to death. I can't even name all those who died. These are great people of faith. Yes, authority is to be respected. And yes, I want to say their authority is not carte blanche, which can get you in trouble just for saying that anymore. Instead, to say, I want to obey God, but I can live in both these tensions at the same time. I mean, the biblical examples are numerous. Pharaoh orders the midwives to kill the... the Hebrew babies, and they said, we, we, we can't do it. We're going to let the boys live. Now, just in case you think, well, that Pharaoh must have been a really bad guy. Who got him into power? Paul, oh, just two chapters, one, two, three, four, four chapters earlier in chapter 9, see how good of math I am? And four chapters earlier in Romans 9, he says, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose. Now, it's a different pharaoh at that moment, but it's the same idea. The pharaoh, the king, was placed in power by God. And God even is saying, look, I I raised you up, you evil guy, so that I could display my power. And how was his power displayed? Through an individual, Moses, who brings in this civil disobedience. God's power is displayed through him to the authority in the in his place. So I say all of that to say, look, we need to recognize that God has placed authorities in, in position. We need to pray for them to be responsible in their leadership. We need to respect that authority. And at some point, if at, in the future, it could happen when, when um, religious liberty is done away with and in our country, which we can't even imagine, or maybe we can imagine a little more today than we have in past days. We're gonna live for, we're gonna live for God. We're gonna live for him. We're gonna stand in the gap. We're gonna, we're gonna, and then accept responsibility for what happens. Listen, I I read just recently about a pastor who got arrested and convicted for not paying his taxes, now, biblically, I, I just don't, I don't think that should ever happen. I could complain about my taxes. I don't like to pay taxes either. I mean, who loves paying taxes? Jack, raise your hand with me. You're the only one raising your hand today, buddy. Right, so, who loves paying their taxes? Nobody loves paying taxes. Everybody hates it. Paul during his time, and Jesus during his, they were under a weight of taxes. We can't even imagine the taxation. They all hated the tax collectors, remember? Matthews, Zacchaeus, all those guys. They couldn't even believe Jesus was hanging with those guys. They hated him so much. We need to see that we need to take responsibility and do what God has told us to do. That is the Christian's relationship to government. When we don't do what we have to do, as Charles Colson says, in each case, when he's talking about all these biblical cases, in each case, its purpose was to demonstrate their submissiveness to God, not their defiance of government. We do it with a humble heart. We do it in a place that says, I, I, I want to do it in a way that honors him. Kent Hughes, in a commentary on the book of Romans, he talks about this example. And he says, When it became clear that the Nazis were pursuing their terrible racist policies, Pastor Martin Niemüller continued to preach the truth, and as a result, was thrown into prison. The prison chaplain, upon visiting Niemüller, asked somewhat foolishly, What brings you here? Why, why are you in prison? To which Niemuller replied angrily, And brother, why are you not in prison? Because he pre- was preaching the gospel. We need to understand that we need to submit to the authorities. Possibly to escape punishment, but more importantly because of Conscience. To me, these two things are growth in God's kingdom. When I was a young man, teenager, I have to confess. like He's confessing a lot of stuff today. This is good. But I have to confess. What kept me from doing wrong was the twofold fear. One, of my parents finding out and punishing me, and two, was making them ashamed to do something that embarrassed them. But really, it was more the first one, the fear of punishment, them finding out. And my father and my parents always seemed to, to find out stuff. And, you know, that gift was passed on to me. And so my children would say, I don't know how he knew stuff, but he seemed to know. Fear of punishment. That is what motivates a lot of people, right? To not do wrong. Afraid of getting caught, afraid of getting punished. But I think Paul is leading to a higher thing, that, that because of conscience. When I was young, I was afraid of getting punishment. But once I was outside of my parents' boundaries, so to speak, I started acting rightly because it, it was a part of me. It was part of my conscience. More importantly is because I was saved and the spirit of God indwelled me. The spirit of truth guided my life and my conscience. Not just my human conscience, but the spirit man within me. And I think that's what Paul is saying. Look, authorities, don't, don't, don't just do it because you're afraid of the punishment they may bring. Instead, let's do what's right because that's who we are. We are a people of conscience. Here's a prayer by Clement of Alexandria, who was um, one of the early church fathers. As a matter of fact, he writes this letter to the Corinthians in 100 A.D. Now, think about this: uh, most the first letter and second letter of Corinthians were, were probably written around 60 A.D. from Paul, and now um, this guy Clement, who is of Alexandria but is in Rome, one of the he's now one of the pastors of the Roman Church. If you're from a Catholic background, He's the Bishop of Rome. You can go with that. But he was pastoring the Roman church, and he writes to the Corinthians, who are still out of control, by the way. You know, <laughs> Paul writes two letters to Corinthians who are out of control. They're still out of control by 100 AD. And so he's writing to them, and he says this. And this is a prayer that he gives to the church in Corinth. And he says, to our rulers and governors on the earth, to them, you, Lord, gave the power of the kingdom by your glorious, ineffable might, to the end that we may know the glory and honor given to them by you and be subject to them in naught. Resisting your will to them, Lord, give health, peace, concord, stability, that they may exercise the authority given to them without offense. it's a little rough translation but he's praying for a, a terrible government the emperors that are killing the church in the 100 AD who are and he's still praying for them i believe that's the call on us today it is the call to prayer to pray for those leaders who are in place, and those who will be in place. Whatever the election holds come January, as we've said before, God's still on the throne. He still rules and reigns, and let's intercede for behalf of our leaders, for our nation, and I pray we really intercede for the church to become the church of Christ, the light that shines in the darkness. We're going to talk about that next week in a little bit. We need, we are called to live by faith, not by what? Sight, not by sight. So how do we be a people of faith? How do we be light in dark? Let me pray. And then we're gonna worship for just a minute before we leave, leave to proclaim that it's, it's God that we look to. It's not just authorities, not though we're praying for them. It's not to them that we look, but rather to him. Lord, we thank you. For this time, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings that are upon us. Lord Jesus, as we started the service, we believe that all the promises are yes in you and our response is amen. And so, Lord, even in this tough teaching, really, about authorities and government and submission to authorities and where we place ourselves, I pray, God, that we will have the faith to say amen because the promises are filled in you. Lord, today, as we go into this election, I want to pray for our president. I want to pray for our vice president, our senators, our congressmen, our mayors, our governors, all elected officials. I pray, Lord, that they will do their job of honoring those who do good and punishing those who do evil. And I pray it will stop getting mixed up. And that, God, your uh, rule and reign, your truth will permeate to them so they can help those on the ground who are doing the job. Lord, we pray for our police authorities. We pray for those who are carrying the sword around us, for police officers who have the incredibly difficult job of trying to determine what is good and what is evil. Lord, I I can't even imagine being in their place, but Lord, I pray you give them wisdom and insight in how to manage situations and circumstances well. Lord, I pray that we will do our part of praying for our leaders, for praying for those who have authority over us, for praying for those who take care of us. Lord, uh, even if we don't like them, Lord, may we pray for them. Lift them up to you. Lord, help us do our part. Find us good stewards. Fill us with faith. Fill us with hope. Fill us with joy. May your presence be manifest in and through us to the world around us. Thank you, Lord. Before we leave, let's just stand and...